truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Thursday. Welcome to The Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me if you want to let us know what you think about what we think. 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. You can also email us, steve at stevedace.com. That's the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And if you are listening to us today on the podcast and you don't mind leaving us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate that. And thank you to all of you that have done so already. Coming up here at the bottom of the hour, a truth bomb, that, or today's truth bomb, is a question from a listener that I probably should have provided the context for this reference a long time ago. Uh, We'll get into that. Uh, And I think it's very pertinent to what we'll be talking about uh, again today also. Uh, We're also going to talk about somebody who talked to somebody who writes for one of, I think, the the hidden gems online for serious uh, political discourse. It's called the public discourse. She will be joining us a little bit later on. And then it is a theology Thursday. We'll continue our study through the book of Colossians, all that and more. But first we of course must get updated with what happened while we were away. This has been a rough week on the montage, repeated examples of the continued collapse of American culture and Western civilization. But I should warn you, Nothing you've seen so far can prepare you for the depravity that is contained at the end of this montage. I want you to be warned, but first, President Trump sent a letter to Nancy Pelosi yesterday saying he would be going ahead with the State of the Union in the House chambers as originally planned. Nancy Pelosi, in turn, wrote him a letter saying, nope. So Trump tweeted, As the shutdown was going on, Nancy Pelosi asked me to give the State of the Union address. I agreed. She then changed her mind because of the shutdown, suggesting a later date. This is her prerogative. I will do the address when the shutdown is over. Hollywood director Brian Singer was the focus of a new Atlantic expose. Singer is the director of some notable films, including... Superman Returns, The Usual Suspects, and more recently, Bohemian Rhapsody. The Atlantic piece details allegations that he raped and or had sexual activity with multiple male minors over a period of several years. Molly Hemingway from The Federalist had a keen observation about the media in the aftermath of the Covington controversy. If many media types are dishonest about reporting contradicted and shown to be dangerously false by hours of extensive video evidence, how astronomically much are they misreporting their claims based on absolutely nothing but anonymous sources? Kirsten Powers had the worst take. This Washington Post story captures the real lesson of this episode. Don't succumb to orchestrated harassment campaigns against journalists. And now what I warned you about. The following are two examples of human depravity reaching new lows and another illustration of why our species does not deserve God's grace. If you're just listening to the podcast or on radio, what I'm about to describe in moments could, should make you feel uncomfortable. Here's the first example. What you're watching is a man using a device called a stash shield. 
It's designed to protect hipsters' mustaches from the foam in their artisanal mocha chai latte or their designer beers. Truly a horrifying display. And now, the next example. This device is called a spoon fork. It turns your phone case into a spoon or a fork, so even when millennials are taking a bite of their avocado toast, they can keep checking their Instagram and Twitter. May God have mercy on all of our souls. And that's what happened while we were away. Uh, today's uh, montage brought to you by our friends over at Home Title Lock. Uh, you may have identity theft protection, and that's good. You should. But it doesn't mean when you see, like, for example, a massive data breach through the Marriott Corporation that saw 500 million identities get stolen. It doesn't mean they still can't use that information to take advantage of you at your expense. Because even though they can't steal your identity, uh, when you have identity theft protection, they now have things you use to identify yourself uh, online when you're doing business. Uh, Like uh, last four digits of a social security number, a middle initial, uh, a maiden name. They now have those things. So say they wanted to go after uh, the most valuable asset most Americans have, the equity in their own home. They go to your county recorder, county assessor site. Uh, They claim to be you. They now have the personal information that you use to log in and and verify that indeed you are you. And voila, when you go to take advantage of that investment that you worked hard for, that equity is gone. They've taken it from you. That doesn't have to be your story. Don't let it be your story. Talk to our friends at Home Title Lock. Protect your most valuable asset, your home Home's equity for just pennies a day via home title lock. And who knows, your home's title may have already been targeted and or compromised. You can find out right now today for free. Uh, part of our Blaze family, if you are, then you got a chance to get a free title scan and report from Home Title Lock today. Again, that's free. It's normally a $100 value, but it's free today at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Uh, We're going to talk more about the Brian Singer story, the timing of that with uh, our guest um, that's coming up next hour from the public discourse could not be, sadly, uh, more serendipitous. So uh, we will discuss that a little bit uh, later on. Um, Also today on the roundtable, we're going to try and figure out, given today's events, we're going to try and figure out meaning other people are going to try and figure out because I don't know the answer. We're going to try and figure out what it is now that could be done to pressure Pelosi and the Democrats to cave. That's what we're going to talk about for our subscribers today on the roundtable. But I, I want to get into what occurred last night. So the president sends this letter after just about the time we're getting off the air yesterday that has the, the click servative masses uh, in an orgasmic, uh, uh, you know, uh, t- tether, uh, fervor. Froth. Yeah, yes, they are frothing orgasm. Yeah, stick it up, stick it up to her. Yeah, yeah. Basically saying, I'm coming anyway. Then around dinner time, no, he's not. To explain what 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 is going on here, I want to tell a story. Can I tell a story? Sure, I can, because over my shoulder, it says whose name there? Mine. So I get to tell a story. It's going to be a depressing story? Not necessarily. Okay. One of my favorite all-time books is Bo Schembechler's autobiography, the great Michigan football coach of yesteryear. 
And I have read that thing dozens of times. And there's a great chapter. If you're any kind of college football fan, regardless of whether you care about Michigan or not, the history of Michigan-Ohio State, one of the game's great rivalries. And when Bo coached against his old mentor, Woody Hayes, they called it the 10-year war, the 10 years that that those two teams went at each other. And and Woody was Bo's surrogate father when his father died and he played for Woody. And, and now this relationship that had been so close, Bo was Woody's prized assistant coach. And then he leaves to go take a head coaching job. He was supposed to be Woody's successor at Ohio State. And then he calls Woody up and says, oh, by the way, I'm not coming back to Ohio State. I'm taking the job at Michigan, the big rival. And these, now they go from father and son to basically barely speaking for 10 years. And the first year they played against each other in Bo's first year in 1969, Bo, there's an entire chapter in Bo's autobiography about this that any college football fan, any sports fan, you, you, you probably don't care whether you care about Michigan or not. You need to just read this chapter. It's that good. By one of the great historical time periods in the game's history. And the first time they played was in 1969. And Woody Hayes and Ohio State had won 23 games in a row. They were the defending national champions. Every game they had won by at least 17 points. And it was said at the time that the only team that could beat them was the Minnesota Vikings with the Purple People Eaters. They were like Alabama. We talk about, could Alabama beat the Raiders or the Cardinals? That's what they were saying about the Buckeyes back then. And they're getting ready to play for the first time. And the previous year, before Bo was hired, Ohio State had beaten Michigan 50-14. to 14. And they were both ranked in the top 10. And at the end of the game, Ohio State scored a touchdown and then put its starters back in to go for two. They scored a touchdown with their scrubs to get to 48 and then put their starters back in the game to go for two so they could put 50 up on Michigan for the first time ever. And after the game, the great Detroit News sports writer Joe Falls, legend has it, he asked Woody Hayes, why did you go for two when you're already up 48 to 14? And Woody Hayes responded, because I couldn't go for three. So the next year... All week of practice leading up to the game, Bo's got makes makes every player on the Michigan team either is wearing a number fifty. Uh, everybody on the scout team, everybody has to wear a patch. Everybody on the scout team they're practicing against all week is wearing a number fifty. He has it everywhere they go to remind them on campus of how they were humiliated. They couldn't possibly. You can't beat Woody Hayes. You can't beat Ohio State. They're unbeatable. You see where I'm going? See, follow the analogy here. You can't win a government shutdown. You can't win. No chance. They get to game day. Team's in a, in a fervor. Frolic, Bo's got them believing they can win. Trump has them believing they can win. And they go out to pregame warm-ups. And Woody's out there. Bo hasn't spoken to him since he took the job. This is his father. He's 39 years old. This is his dad, basically. He's going up against his old man. And Ohio State is warming up on Michigan's side of the field. Each team is given a side of the field that is theirs, visitors at home. And Bo's like, you know, I know this is not Woody Hayes' first visit to this stadium. I know, okay? I know that he knows, and he knows that I know where he is supposed to warm up. This is gamesmanship. He is stepping to me. He is telling me. He is telling me, no, you're just a punk. The swamp is telling you, Mr. Trump. You're just a carny con man. So Bo doesn't really want to go out there and confront his old head coach. But the problem is, now the players are coming out for warm-ups. Rush Limbaugh's listeners are coming out. Our Blaze viewers are coming out. 
well, why can't there be a shutdown? Why can't we get our way? Why do we always have to capitulate to these people? Now these guys in the winged helmets are coming out and they're saying, hey, Bo, he's warming up on our side of the field. And you got us believing we don't have to take it from these people like we have for the last 10 years anymore. That we can beat these guys. You need to go out there and tell them what's up. And Bo's like, I kind of don't want to do that. But he looks back on his players like Trump wanted to sign that continuing resolution. Then he heard Rush Limbaugh's audience and he heard people like you say before Christmas, no, we're tired of capitulating. He's like, I kind of have to go out now. I got to go out to midfield now and talk to Pelosi. So Bo has to go out there, talk to Woody, shuffles his feet, light jog, thinking of what in the world's he going to say. Hasn't talked to the old man in a year, face to face. He goes out there and says, uh, and this is how Bo describes it too. He's itching the back of his neck. And he's got his back to his players, so his players can't really see. He's about to crap a brick right there. He's like, hey, uh, coach, good to see you. How's, the, how's your wife? Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, you're kind of on the wrong side of the field. And Woody doesn't say a word. Looks Bo up and down, sizing him up. And Bo is about to wet himself. But he makes it look like he's standing firm. Woody looks him up and down and says, one word. Okay. Blows the whistle, motions his players to go down to the other end of the field. Bo turns around and he looks at his players. And what do you think's going on inside the tunnel with those players in his helmet, wearing those winged helmets, as they're about to come out and take the field? What do they think just happened? What they think happened is he went out there and gave the old man what for. He told him what's up. Brady Hoax ain't still, we're, 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 ain't still clapping when we're down by 30 points. We're not doing this anymore. He ain't punking us again. Michigan went out that day, pulled the biggest upset in college football of that decade, snapped the longest winning streak Ohio State ever had, and at his, at his reti- retirement banquet, Woody Hayes, with Bo Schembechler in the front room, pointed a finger and said, people ask me, what's my greatest team? And he pointed to Bo and he said, damn you, Bo, that was my best team and you beat them. Chances are, what do you think the odds are Michigan wins that game that day? If Bo comes back and says to his players, you know what, guys? You know, they were kind of here before us. You know, the clock's ticking. It's their prerogative. Yeah, it's their prerogative. We only have so much time to warm up. And you know what? We'll get them when the game starts. We'll get them next time when the game begins. What do you think the outcome of that game is? Less. Uh, the whole history of, of Michigan football, the Big Ten, that rivalry, is likely, likely was determined. Now, was that the game? Was that the game itself? No. But was it an event that determined how the game would likely go? Yes. And this is why I have been saying for three weeks since this started, this is pass-fail, win or go home. This is Dusty the American Dream Roads and Ric Flair, Starcade 86 in Charlotte, North Carolina, loser leave town match for the NWA championship on TBS. That's what this is. Two men enter and one man's going to leave. We're not walking out. You got a B minus, I got a C plus. You got an A minus, I got a B plus. Nope. One of y'all is extinct and the other one survives. That's what this is. And what transpired yesterday, I have to tell you, I, I, you know we had the buy-seller hold yesterday, and, 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 part of the, and a question regarding this shutdown came up, and I said, I just have to believe at some point 
you, you don't build the empire Donald Trump built. I, I, I have to believe at some point we're going to see. Remember I said that just yesterday sitting here. Yes. I don't know how this guy became a billionaire with what we saw yesterday. You know, there's a great line, one of the great lines in the history of modern sport, Mike Tyson. Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Trump got punched in the mouth yesterday. Whether you think it's leadership or weak, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, as The Rock would say. Uh, in, in politics, perception is nine-tenths of the law. It's nine-tenths of the law. And the perception is that this was a moment where he was weakened. Um, why he sent that letter to then only wave the white flag a few hours later, there's no 4D chess. There never has been. And what's going to happen now as a result of this is Nancy Pelosi walked in to the Democratic caucus room this morning to a standing ovation. They were circulating. There there was about 20 of them trying to circulate letters in December to have her replaced. No one will step to her now. She's King freaking Kong. Nancy Pelosi, guys. Nancy Pelosi. I can promise you, because I know a lot of these people and I've worked in this system, Every just about every Republican consultant this morning called their client in Congress and told them, every man for himself, told every one of their Republican congressmen and senators, you're Billy Zane at the end of Titanic. Grab a boat. This thing's going down. There's no plan. No plan. They want to cave anyway. Don't get me wrong. They, they've been looking for an excuse to cave. Cory Gardner from Colorado will just be the first one. He's the first one already out of the gate. He'll be, he will be joined by others. Because when they see there's no plan, that we're just literally just kind of, it's a, it's a reality show, and that the, 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 there isn't a plan for how we end this in a way that's a win, their, their basic cave instincts will, will kick in. And they'll just get to, dude, we got to get our donors as much graft as we can while we can. That's why we're here. We're not here for people like Todd and Aaron and viewers like you. We're here for K Street, bro. So every Republican consultant's going to tell their client, you're Billy Zane at the end of Titanic, every man for himself. There's no plan here. Don't die on this hill. The Democrats are more emboldened than ever. Now, now let's say they, do, they, they, they settle this in a couple of weeks. Well, now you're into February sweeps month. Why does that matter? Well, there's three months out of the year where the networks put all of their best programming on because that's when they sell advertising for the next quarter. February is one of them. So now you're going to interrupt a premiere episode of This Is Us that's going to piss 15 million people off to give a speech that the vast majority of Americans don't care about anyway. What you doing? Who's they got? Any frontal lobes over there at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue? What, what are we doing here? Why, why did we even pick this fight if this is what we're going to do? Why? Because here's my concern. My concern are my concerns. Whether I like it or not, this is over an issue I care deeply about, and he's the face of it, and that's immigration and national sovereignty. And 
it doesn't do my value system any good to have the the quarterback that I didn't draft him. I didn't recruit him. Not the guy I wanted, but I don't make these decisions around here, you know? So, um, you know, when my guy goes out there and starts throwing picks in the fourth quarter of the championship game, we're losing anyway. That, that what What's the end game? Where is this going? Why did you send that letter out if you were just going to cave a few hours later? You're the president of the United States. Why don't you just, you can't create a, a spectacle, an alternative to give a speech? Why, why, why are you punking yourself? Who are you listening to? Um, for that matter, it, with this precedent set, when they end this shutdown, why should Nancy Pelosi ever let him? If the goal of the Democrats is to make people think Trump's never been a legitimate president, then why give him a chance to give a State of the Union in front of the flag at all? Why not, why not just go out there now if you're the Democrats and say, hey, we're going to punish him for all those weeks those poor federal workers didn't get checks? All those weeks, those Coast Guards and TSA agents, those great patriots were on furlough or work in Penub, Buckwheat. We're going we're gonna, to, you never get to speak. We're never inviting you. Why wouldn't they do that? Never cave to these people. Ever. Ever. And if you were going to do this, you were just better off not doing anything. Just you were better off just signing another continuing resolution and lying to your base because they want to be lied to. Uh, and just blaming everything on the Democrats and we can't do anything. And they'll, they'll put up plenty of uh, click-servative fodder for us. See Covington Catholic, see BuzzFeed. I mean, they'll give us plenty of options to just forget that you guys suck at life and will stab us in the back at the first sign of resistance from the resistance. They'll give us plenty of fodder to play off of. Why even do this then at all? This is like you know the the the, the old joke about the Craigslist listing of the uh, uh, the French army rifle. Seldom loaded, never used. What's what's the what, what's the what are we doing here? What is the point of any of this? And no, now you now, they actually had somewhat of a, an idea about twenty four hours ago of let's just sign a continuing resolution for now to, so that federal workers don't miss two paychecks and we'll pick up this fight in a month and we'll try to that's a terrible option. It's better than this, but you can't do that now because now it'll just be played as if Trump just did a temporary option so we can have a speech. I, I don't know, you know, I'll just no BS. Everybody, you've listened to the show. You know I'm good buddies with Chip Roy. I won't share you our private conversations, but man, if he if he called me up and asked me, as he's done it on occasion, hey, how do you win this? My answer is same answer Barack Obama gave Rick Warren once about wins wins a life a life above my pay grade. I I don't know how you win. I don't know how you make two plus two equals seven. I don't I don't know how you do that. So this is now. I gave you guys about a 35 minute warning. I'm because I'm seeing from click servatives that this puts pressure on Pelosi. I have no idea what pressure this puts on Pelosi. No, I mean she's the she's the queen of the damned right now. So uh, tell, I I would like to be wrong, and I want you guys to now tell me why I'm wrong about this, Todd. You're almost certainly not wrong um, because you know the people. We all know the people that were. Uh, involved with and we've increasingly become suspicious that Trump is just one of those other people as Steve has said same cake 
uh, just different frosting. But as I also said a couple of days ago regarding immigration, you got to got to game theory it, uh, kind of put pieces together and say what what is even remotely possible in order to answer your question. There's no way what he just did uh, gives him any more leverage. In my mind, the only way this is even remotely possible to actually be a win for Trump is if the win happened already and part of the win was an agreement that he would not speak and allow her to save face. If the wall is now going to happen, somehow that agreement happened and I say, I bought, I just about laughed. I was going to say handshake agreement. Of course, that sounds insane because they won't be held to anything. Uh, I know, but I, if I'm just trying to be honest about the only way possible that this is a win, there's no leverage to be had if Trump does not already have that agreement somehow, some way in his pocket that she has agreed that the wall will happen. Um. I think the the logic behind people saying, and I'm seeing that as well, Steve, people saying this puts pressure on Pelosi is that now this is one less uh, bargaining chip that she has with Trump. Well, if that's the case, again, going back to why would you send out that letter yesterday? If, if this was actually on the table for him to just capitulate to Pelosi, why would you send out that letter? Uh, so I... I get the law. It's still flimsy. And when you back down from a fight like this, I'm not sure how that gives you more leverage or puts more pressure on your opponent. I don't get that part of the logic, but I think the logic is that this is just one less thing that Pelosi during the shutdown can hold over Trump's head. Uh, it's, It's a mess. You are seeing right now what we feared in 2015 and 2016. Yep. Don't want to. I don't. I don't want to live in the past, and we should not do that all the time. But I, at least, what I feared uh, in 2015 and 2016 with Trump is, even though he said some things, and maybe he was going to be um, like the fullback who uh, just clears a path for uh, you know running back, whatever. He was just going to be like a bull in a china shop. My fear was that I didn't think that he was. Because we're not seeing, we really are seeing the con man right now, Steve. This is this is you said earlier. Oh, this is the swamp telling you you're just a con. No, we really are seeing the con man right now. The con man uh, sold you a bill of goods that was, I will be a bull in a china shop. I will make the, I I will win on the wall. I'll build a wall. I'll, uh, you know, I will beat the Democrat. None of that is happening. I would say the next step. Unless there is something that we don't know, and as we always say on this show, and I know I piss Steve off every time I say this, it's always four-dimensional chess now. Unless there actually is some four-dimensional chess here, I think the next step that we see is uh, a capitulation and a cave on wall funding and border security. That's the logical next step. That's my concern. Because that's the power play that we just saw from Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. Let me use another football analogy. You're heading into halftime of the game and you watched your team come out with a game plan that you're like, why did they ever think this was going to work when every gumshoe fan knows this wouldn't work? And now the, the game, you're behind and the game is not over at halftime. But you do know that if they come out with that exact same game plan we just saw, they're not winning that game. Or a failure to make adjustments. That's where we're at right now. And what, what yesterday's events tell me is they're not unified in the White House. What it tells me is that the president is listening to multiple sources 
and reacting. What tells me is you've got the Stephen Miller faction who would be more in line with where we're at, who told him, yeah, you tell Nancy Pelosi, man, go take a long walk off a short cliff. And he sends that letter out. And then she she says, I'm, I'm not giving in. And then the president goes to, and Javanka comes in and says, but daddy, and he caved. I, this tells me they're not unified. This tells me that they're not, uh, they're not with one another on what the game plan ought to be. This tells me that he's already prone to be double-minded on his own, but it tells me that his own team and inside staff is double-minded at the exact same time. Um, that ain't going to win this. I, <laughs> I want to win this. Right. I want to win this fight. I have I've have been waging a debate on the immigration issue for the last seven years of my career. I, this is the all in moment on this issue. I would like to win this issue because I understand that if we lose at this moment, we're probably going to lose on this issue for the foreseeable future, if not forever. I understand that. You know, I'm not happy about this. I'm just telling you. This game plan is going to lose this issue right now. At the very least, and maybe his presidency when it's all said and done. So they better have something up their sleeves, or they better have learned from the mistakes that they made yesterday. One or the other. More in a moment. We'll get to today's truth bomb here in just a moment, but uh, now's the time on Sprockets when Aaron Humble brags. Yes, of course, talking about my magnificent uh, skills with a a gun, a handgun. You know, I just heard from a a listener yesterday by the name of John who said, uh, thanks to this uh, tip on this show, he got one of these. He dropped a bunch of hints um, to his family over Christmas, and he actually got one of these. Said it's uh, working out great so far. If you have gotten an iTarget Pro system, or if you resolve to in the new year, uh, why don't you let me know on uh, Twitter or email, uh, Aaron at SteveDace.com. I'd love to hear from you. Of course, um, resolving to take your firearm training to the next level is what iTarget Pro is all about. It utilizes their proprietary uh, smartphone app and your smartphone, tracking a caliber-specific laser, which fits inside your gun. It'll detect exactly where your shots are landing. It uses your phone's uh, camera and a laser system to detect exactly where your shots are landing. It's completely safe, comes with a caliber-specific laser, target system, and instructions so you can begin training immediately. So if you didn't get one for Christmas like John did, go to the letter itargetpro.com with your Christmas cash. Check out the video, choose your caliber, and download the app so you can be ready when the system arrives. This month, you can get 10% off plus free shipping with the offer code STEVE when you purchase the iTarget Pro system. Save money, save time, take your skill to the next level safely and effectively. That's the letter iTargetPro.com, offer code STEVE, iTargetPro.com. Today's truth bomb here on the Steve Day Show, which is a contrived attempt on the part of yours truly to have an excuse to promote my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise, available uh, at bookstores and at Amazon right now. Thank you to all of you that have purchased a copy already. If you have done so and you've read it or like what you've read so far, if you wouldn't mind leaving leaving us a five-star review, appreciate that. If you haven't done so, what are you waiting on? My kids are thinking uh, Disney for Christmas, and they're counting heavily on you. 
Speaking of truth bombs, man, I don't know if I can come up with one better than Molly Hemingway had at the Federalist that was in Aaron's montage. I mean, that's one of those things that's so simple and profound. You're like, how come I didn't think of it? I mean, when you look at the way some of the journalistic class is continuing to promote the false narratives around the Covington Catholic story that have been totally debunked by video evidence. I mean, if they're, if they're going to do that in the place of in, in the in in uh, in the face of video evidence, then why would they literally just make up everything about an anonymous source with no accountability whatsoever? And that's why we don't comment on stories uh, as a show. We don't comment on stories for and about this White House that deal with any anonymous sources either way. For that reason, today's truth bomb is probably not as powerful as that statement by Miss Hemingway or Mrs. Hemingway, I should say, but it, it hopefully um, is necessary nonetheless because one of our uh, one of our listeners here at the Blaze, Joan Anderson, asked a question of me this week that I probably should have answered a long time ago. And she says, you know, I listen to your uh, podcast daily. Blessings to you guys. You've been making many references to the Archduke Ferdinand moment is is approaching here in America. I was wondering if you could perhaps go into more detail of why and what current events specifically lead you to this. And this is an excellent question. And it's it's something I probably should have explained a while ago. I first made this reference uh, last June. I was on CNN's Reliable Sources on a Sunday morning. It was the Sunday after the attempted mass assassination of uh, the Republican delegation at the suburban ball field uh, in Washington, D.C. by a Bernie Sanders supporter. And they had me on with uh, uh, Sally Khan. Basically, it was a can't we all just get along panel. And then literally a week after they had me on this panel, Sally Khan accused, or is it Cohn? I can't ever remember. And I'm Cone not, Con. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I apologize. As someone whose name gets mispronounced all the time, Dice, 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 I'm, I'm sensitive to that. So I'm, I think it's Sally Khan, but if it's Sally Khan, then we'll have both of our bases covered. But about a week after we were on this panel, trying to see if we can come to some form of civility without giving up our principles. Uh, Sally jumped on Twitter and accused uh, Paul Ryan, then Speaker of the House, of going on, an, uh, and I quote, 50 state killing spree, end quote, for trying for holding a vote to repeal Obamacare. Those were her literal words. So, you know, huzzah for uh, civility uh, in the midst of such rancor. But um, I, I made this reference first on that show. And then I've been making it more and more. Let me explain the context of this for, for those um, that want to know the history behind this. Um, the culture of Western Europe and the political alignments of Western Europe at the time of the Archduke Ferdinand moment are very similar to the cultural realities we have in America today. And that is that the average rank-and-file European uh, the, 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 the empires of Europe at the time were all governed by the same family. It was called the Habsburg dynasty. They were, as our friend Shannon Joy likes to describe it, they were the unibrow. <laughs> I mean, they had, this had gone on for centuries. They had married, intermarried. Um, the, you know, uh, the, they were one large family. They were dynasty. They were Dallas. Okay, and so every one of these arguments that had gone on were family disputes. And they had within this family, they had um, two clans of elites. That each had essentially uh, partnership packs that if one 
one of the tribes steps to you, even if it has no bearing on our self-interest whatsoever, we'll have your back. And the, and the idea was that having, you know, all of this intermarrying with one family of elites ruling really the civilized world and then having them all uh, agree that should one step to one, they'd all step to the other. The notion was that there'd be, since there was mutually assured destruction, we wouldn't have hundred year wars between the French and the British anymore. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have French-Prussian conflicts anymore. This, this wouldn't happen because everybody would realize it's not in your best interest to do so because the whole thing will blow up. And, you know, nobody wants to be responsible for literally the end of the world, right? Yeah, you'd have a backyard fist fight every once in a yes. while, and then, you know, you'd go back and yeah. get on with it. Eventually, Bobby and JR figure out how to split Ewing oil, and we just, you know, yes. move on to season four. That's not a joke. You're, that, is, that was literally the yes. mindset behind this. Yes. All right. So the average European, whether they spoke German, French, English, largely lived pretty much the same. They, you know, you might be Anglican in England. uh, You might be more Catholic in France. You were more Lutheran in Germany. But aside from some sectarian religious differences or, you know, food preferences or accents or some linguistic differences, largely these cultures were the same. And the average European didn't really see that they had a huge vested interest in that was how the the elites were having that argument. We live down here. We work in factories or an agrarian society. And when you had a spark that took this tinderbox, and because next to the you had three classes of people in Europe. You had the average everyday European who either worked in a factory or lived in agrarian life. You had the elites. These were your Habsburgs. And then you had your leftist revolutionaries. Any of this sound familiar? So you have your average everyday European. They may have, they may prefer, you know, one of them may like spaghetti and the other one may like sauerkraut, but their existences are largely the same. Then you have your elites over here that are arguing about, uh, you know, how much, uh, you know, uh, uh, the graft is going to be for uh, each clan. Any of this sound familiar? And then you have this emerging class of leftists, radicals, revolutionaries, iconoclasts. It's like there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing man. new under the sun. And the radicals and the revolutionaries and the iconoclasts kept trying to provoke the elite classes. You had an assassination of, I can't remember which of the Russian czars it was that was assassinated by these leftist elites. They kept trying to provoke the elites into a conflict that would bring about their leftist Marxist progressive utopia. Does any of this sound familiar? Meanwhile, the average European was just like, I don't care about either of these people. None of them care about me. And I just want to make babies and have a family and go to church or not and have a life. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. And so finally, these leftists sparked a conflict and a confrontation that dragged the elite class into the mud with them. And that was the assassination, I believe it was the nephew of, the, of, of Archduke Ferdinand. Um, 
or was Archduke Ferdinand the nephew? I can't remember. But essentially, this was the upper crust of the Austria-Hungarian Empire. It was the prime ally of the German Kaisers. The emperor of the Austria-Hungarian Empire said, this can't stand. And now... The Germans, I've got, to, I've got to side with the Austrian Hungarians. All the old urine, all the urination contests now. All the things that had caused centuries of war in Europe that they had put down because they were they were all making so much money and held so much power that it, that that they had a, a, an incentive to to push it down and not have a real debate, not have a real conflict. Well, now they had been successfully provoked enough by the crusaders over here on the left. The radicals, the revolutionaries, the iconoclasts, the deconstructionists. They had successfully provoked them enough. And now it's a battle royale and everybody goes into the ring. And caught in the middle are people like you. And this time they had Gatling guns. And this time they had uh, mustard gas. Yes. This time they had planes. And the most devastating conflict in the history of mankind ensues. And most of the people that died weren't the relatives of the elites, weren't the leftists. They were people like you. People like you were most of the people that died. Caught up in this. Similar, terrible analogy, but similar in circumstance to how most of you don't have a Twitter account. Most of you have never been on Twitter. 25% of Americans have a Twitter account. And the percentage of those of you who have one that have, say, more than 1,000 followers and are active on it on a daily or weekly basis is probably, I'm guessing, in the single digits. You don't follow it every day. You don't care. Here's the problem, though. (laughs) The Habsburgs are all on it. And the leftist iconoclastic deconstructionists live on it too. And they sit back and forth on here and provoke one another. And when one successfully click that, it's just another, we call it click baiting today, but it's the same. And when one successfully provokes or click baits the other, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the bottom third of, of the screen of every cable news network. It's the breaking news of every cable news network. It shows up on your phone when you're listening. You're trying to listen to your favorite, you know, a jukebox and a country song, Alan Jackson. And when the top of the hour news breaks in, uh, President Trump uh, insulted uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez today on Twitter. It's in your, and it gets into your jet stream. And eventually when they're done provoking each other, when the people that the Bernie Sanders of the world inspire to go and shoot at a ball field, the people that you vote into office, and one day when they're finally successful at it. We're getting closer to that day. One day when they punch a pro-life protester who's got a CNC and is like, ah, this ain't Canada, brah. Homie, don't play that. That's why I got my concealed carry. Let me introduce you to my Second Amendment. They'll have what they want. What they're trying to do is provoke these elites into this deconstructionist conflict. And when they do, when they do, 
It won't be elites like Ocasio-Cortez from their Brooklyn Brownstone. And it won't be the Habsburg elites over here. They'll fire up the CCR, a fortunate son. It'll be folks like you that'll do most of the living and dying when that conflict finally comes. Mark my words. That's how history always occurs. Whenever you have uh, essentially a revolution not driven by any form of means of nobility that urges mankind to rise above its base nature. And that's what I believe is happening right now. So Joan, thank you for asking that question this week. I probably should have explained the context of this a long time ago. But that's what I'm talking about. You're you in our audience, people like you, you're the average European in, in 1912. You're enjoying the new technology of the internal combustion engine. You're going to see silent movies. You're enjoying the new era, the new technologies of the world. You've got, you've got electricity and indoor plumbing. You think, you think life is great. You got a job at the factory down the street. Or you're working in an agrarian farm. You've got a nice living. You think things are just fine. But you're not living in the world that the Habsburgs live in. And you're not driven by the, by the jihad the leftist radicals are trying to provoke. And sooner or later, they will provoke them successfully enough. And that's what I believe is happening right now. Gentlemen, your thoughts on that analogy. Well... At the very least, and it's a bit counterintuitive, that means those of you who just want to be left alone to live your life must, not necessarily on the same platform, but in your own way on a platform that cannot be a lot, uh, denied, you must have your own version of orthodoxy that must be dealt with. And that's your Achilles heel. It's not enough to just want to be left alone it's you have to be willing to state clear why and how you want to be left alone under what terms where do they come from uh there's this group you may have heard of them called the founding fathers that did that they laid them out uh uh, unfortunately it it came when uh the, the war was already at hand but you must before those bullets fly before the blood is shed right now uh I know you're enjoying the freedoms that we have. Just as Steve said, I enjoy those freedoms too. Um, but you, at the very least, have got to be a weekend warrior along the lines of the National Guard. I mean, you've got to stand a post. I don't know what the fight necessarily is in your backyard. Uh, we know New York, for example, what's going on. What are you doing about that in the state of New York? And you might seem like you're outnumbered because this is New York. I get it, but what are you doing? There, there's no option about that because it, if you really want to avoid what Steve is talking about, you, you got to do something right now. It can You can't just acquiesce. Yeah, and this, again, the parallels are creepy, um, but they are, they are what they are. Um, and it's, it's up to people like the people watching this and um, others it, to – Decide again what Todd was saying. Decide to actually uh, uphold your, you know, your orthodox. Because this, the realities are here. The factions that Steve laid out, they are what they are, and they're not just going to go away. Uh, the, the horde of locusts just doesn't disappear. Um, the elites don't just let go of their power. Um, they are here to stay, 
and uh, they will keep behaving the way that they are behaving. Uh, it is up to us to decide now uh, whether or not we like the show, we like the, the, the provocations as long as it, nobody gets killed, or we really need to get our rear in gear and figure out a way, uh, whether it's politically, it, I mean, ultimately spiritually, um, we need to figure out whether or not, again, this is the, the path forward is a steak versus cheese. It's argument that we've laid out multiple times, but that's the choice, I, I, again, going forward, I think that people like us have to make. You know, the disadvantage we have is it took the leftists and radicals in Western Europe at that time a long time to finally provoke the elites enough. And one of the reasons why is they, they weren't getting huge subsidy checks from the elites. Like we're handing those radicals now. They weren't given free reign to indoctrinate the children and grandchildren of the next generation called education uh, into uh, their paganism like we are now. That's why the clock's accelerating. The harvest is, is coming. The reckoning's here. Hour two is next. And we're back with hour two here on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888 is the number. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And for those of you listening uh, via radio or the podcast today, last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We like on our show to support people and give and promote people that take a stand. One of the toughest stands you could take is against your own family. Miss Victoria Hurst is doing that right now. She's descended from William Randolph Hearst, one of the great tycoons uh, in American history, great success stories in American history. The problem is her family's company, one of their prized uh, properties is Cosmopolitan Magazine. And right now, in her view, they're promoting pornography. I take her word for it because I'm a 45 years old guy. I don't, I'm not their target demo. But given some of the stuff I've seen on the cover of Cosmo at the magazine bookshelves, I kind of think she might know what she's talking about. So she doesn't want the magazine censored, anything like that. She's just simply asking for a reasonable alternative for her family. And that is, hey, if you want to put more adult material in the magazine, then specifically uh, only target it and market it for adults, not for daughters your age, Todd, your daughter's ages, Todd, or, or my daughter's ages. So if you agree with this as a reasonable solution to protect the innocence of our children, here's a website you can go to and you can support Victoria's cause. CosmoHurtsKids.com is the website. CosmoHurtsKids, all one word, CosmoHurtsKids.com. I want to welcome our guest here today on the Steve Day Show. Jana Darnell is our guest, and uh, it's good to talk to you, Jana. How are you? I'm good. It's good to talk with you, Steve. Thanks for having me. So uh, let's introduce you to our audience. Uh, you are uh, you're a Blaze uh, listener, viewer, consumer, right? You listen yes. to shows like ours and Glenn Beck's and the others that are part of uh, the Blaze family here, correct? Yes, I have for quite a while. I got an email from you. Uh, during the election last year, and uh, and it and it was asking a question of why are certain things not being discussed, not being talked about in this election? I know you have done some work for a website uh, I have a lot of uh, regard for, the public discourse, because it's attempting 
to take issues that are not politically correct, but are uh, wrecking a lot of families and communities in America and deal with them um, truthfully, but also with some honor and, and some respect uh, at the same time. And you wanted to bring to my attention what? Tell our audience what it is you thought largely went ignored in this last election cycle. Uh, well, I reached out to you um, in particular about um, the governor's race in Colorado State. So um, the Democrat um, governor candidate, Jared Polis, um, was running and um, he has been the first U.S. senator um, elected uh, that was a gay married man. And um, now he was running for governor of Colorado. And um, he obviously gay, um, quote unquote, married a man with two children. And um, everywhere that I was listening, um, talking to pastors, talking to Christians, no one was talking about this. And um I was really concerned because um, I have I've felt that uh, like the Supreme Court ruling for same-sex marriage, um, what that has done to our nation. This, um, if he were to get into the second highest seat in our government, um, what that would do to families and what it means to be a family. You wrote a few years ago uh, a column for the Public Discourse about your personal journey on this issue. You've, you've lived this argument. You've lived this debate beyond the ideological or theoretical aspects of it or um, the slogans from either side of, of, of the marriage uh, arguments from the 90s and 2000s. You've lived at the epicenter of this, and you wrote about it a few years ago for the public discourse. Can you kind of just give our audience... Uh, a, a quick summation of, of what you shared with the public discourse back in 2014. Sure. Um, I wrote a bit of my story in that article, in particular, um, pleading um, with the Supreme Court not to um, rule in favor of same-sex marriage. Um, so my marriage of 10 years ended um, when my husband came out identifying as a gay man and left our marriage and our family for a, his gay lover. Um, our divorce was a pretty brutal divorce. It went to trial. Less than 1% of divorces go to trial. Um, ours went to trial because he was um, trying to get custody of our children um, and make a gay family. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, in that trial, at one point, the judge looked at my former husband and told him if he had asked for more, he would have given it to him. Um, I truly believe that the judge was legislating from the bench uh, to uh, elevate gay rights while stripping the rights uh, of me as a mother from my children. Um, since that divorce, my children have um, grown up in the gay community. Their father 
um, married his gay lover before it was ever recognized in our state that we lived in, um, before it was recognized in our nation or the church, um, which clearly taught our children that um, authority can be disregarded. Your feelings trump everything. And um, and we're definitely seeing that played out on a large scale now um, where facts and science and law can just be thrown out because of your feelings. Um, so we've um, gone through quite a bit in the last 11 years. How, how has this... I mean, given the fact you're talking to us today on this show publicly, you obviously haven't abandoned your convictions and your principles. Can, no, can, not can, at all. can you can you without making it too personal, but can you bring a point home to our audience of, you know, because a lot of us now feel like we are trying to live straddle a fence in America with two dramatically different belief systems, worldviews, et cetera, uh, and that these at times uh, intersect in our own families, family events, things of that nature, which you have lived for the last few years. So if, if you're speaking out about this, you clearly haven't abandoned your principles. Obviously, your your ex-husband went out there and immediately went out there and lived out the principles he said he now greatly believed in at the same time. Your children are now caught in the middle of this beyond the typical divorce, you know, you know, am I on mom's side or dad's side that sadly is typical uh, in divorce in general. They're at, they're dealing with this now on a far deeper existential level. What is it like you being on the opposite, being on the opposite side of this with your children caught in the middle? It's been extremely difficult. Um, I have been called every name under the sun. Um, I'm a homophobe. I'm a trans transphobe. I'm a hater. Um, uh, it's most of the time it feels like me against my family and my family against me. So um, the faith that we as a couple and a family were raising our children in um, has been denied by their father, and my children have um, chosen the ways of their father. So I stand alone. Um, it's been difficult and discouraging um, at times, but I um, continue to contend for my family and um, believe for salvation for my family. And um, and I'm not going to waver from the truth of the Lord and from his word. How, how do you give us an example of what living out that balancing act is like? Because you, you clearly believe deeply in your convictions. You don't want to drive your children away at the exact same time. I, 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 because I think this is a this is a dilemma that's in a lot of American homes right now, which you're describing. Maybe not maybe not to the intensity of the level you're describing, but the the fundamentals of this debate 
uh, you know, my children leave the home and they and every, they go to the public school and everyone else they interact with is affirming something different than the values we're raising them with. So it, it may not be the level of intensity where it literally splits your family in two, but it is the fund. It's the framework of a debate that's happening and in, inside of a lot of American homes right now. Um, what encouragement or example of even a mistake or something you've made that you would want to urge our audience to either repeat or not along those lines? Good question. Um, I can think of one example um, that maybe I did wrong or, or maybe partly right. I'm not sure, but um, in the, Let's see, um, Take Me to Church, that song that came out a few years ago that um, was super popular and um, got uh, awards and different things. Um, When you really, and I liked the sound of that song, it sounded kind of like Elton John. Mm -hmm. um, But when you really got into the lyrics of that song and then you watch the video of that song, it's quite a different story. So um, one evening, my kids and I sat down to listen to that song and and watch the video. And um, it was kind of a, it was a moment of truth, I think, in our family of where I was at and where my kids are at. Um, and in that video towards the end, it is... Um, the church is portrayed as the lunch mob coming against a gay couple. And so we're um, kind of, we're identified as the new KKK, right? Against the gays. And I, um, I asked a simple question uh, about the video, just wanting to get clarification. And that kind of just erupted um, rage from my children and um, they stomped out of the room, mm. uh, just showing the vast difference of where we were at. Um, maybe I shouldn't have asked the question that I asked. I'm not sure. But what that one, what that propelled was that I'm willing to have the conversation with my kids, and two, that I continue to pursue them, even though they've called me names, their father has called me names. I continue to pursue them. I continue to pursue their father um, through them. I make sure that um, they are recognizing every birthday, Christmas, etc., for their father. Um, I think it's really important in this controversy and this debate where it can become so divisive and so full of hate that we continue to pursue relationship regardless if we are completely at polar opposites. And so um, I really strive to do that and to build relationship with my kids um, and to speak truth whenever I have an opportunity to speak truth into their lives. Um that's difficult um, in our situation, but I um, I want to continue to be in relationship with them and continue to let them know that I love them regardless of what they choose or what they choose to believe or, um, or what they're choosing to do. So, um, yeah. <laughs> 
don't know if that answers part of your question oh, or it, not. It's a pretty good answer, actually. Uh, Jana Darnell is our guest here from the Public Discourse. Uh, she's our guest here today on The Blaze. There's a lot of Americans. You know, I, I like to tell our audience, and you, if you're a listener to our show, you've probably heard me say this, Jana, that's a, that most of America is not conservative like we are. It's just not, but it's not communist either. And yeah. and most of America is struggling. And, and I've seen the debate change where when, it, when, when our side of the marriage debate was on offense, argument, and we were winning all these marriage battles, and, and the argument was, you know, why are you wanting to get in the way of two people, consenting adults, loving each other? That created a lot of backlash against us and sympathy. And now I'm noticing it's actually going the other way now. Now that the other side believes they have authoritarian hegemony in the culture and it's baked the cake bigot, you're starting to see a lot of people are saying, wait a minute, you know, I thought, you know, that's not what I signed up for. Even had, even had really the Benjamin Franklin of the gay rights movement in this country, Andrew Sullivan recently uh, went on his, one of his blogs a few years ago and said, I didn't sign up for compelling people to agree with me. I'm not for that. And ironically, the very rainbow jihad he helped to found uh, uh, ganged up on him on his own comment section uh, and destroyed him because now he wasn't uh, uh, he wasn't pure enough uh, for their side in this debate. So there's a lot of Americans uh, that might think of themselves as libertarians or they don't care about stuff like this. And they're struggling to understand why is it that if if you're willing to pursue relationship with your ex-husband, with your with your children, despite this divisive issue in your relationship, find some area of accommodation like Christmas, birthdays, as you just said. They're struggling to figure out if you're willing to do this despite your clear, deep-seated you know convictions. How come the it's not returned often? How come how come Jack Phillips is apparently the only baker in all of Colorado? There is nowhere anybody else can go to get a, a you know a, you know a godforsaken cake made in that state. Okay, and they're struggling because they're just waking up to this debate. They didn't care about it before and thought people like you and me were crazy for for fighting it years ago. And now they're trying to figure out why is Tolerance Boulevard a one way street? Why aren't why aren't the same considerations made for people like you that are now given to people like where your husband's at in his life? What would you say to them about about that about that clear double standard? It's definitely a clear double standard. Um, there definitely is a totalitarian aspect to the other side. Um, and like you said, they're starting to eat their own, um, as people are starting to wake up, um, which I'm taking that as a good sign. (laughs) Um, but I think on our side, um, there, if we're, especially if we're believers on our side, um, we come um, in peace and we come with compassion and we try to understand. Um, and that isn't happening on the other side. So that's creating a much harder um, road to navigate um, with your family, with neighbors, etc. Because they don't so, want accommodation, they want validation. Is that, that's they, what they're asking of people like you, right? Yes. Absolutely. It is, you know, and I've watched it in, you know, in my own own family. Um, and then we watch it on a much larger scale. To love means that you have to accept and celebrate and embrace. Um, love can't mean that you can question or doubt or, um, you know, not agree. Mm. 
And um, so that doesn't allow for accommodation in a two way street. Last year, a film called Call Me By Your Name was nominated for an Academy Award. And it was a film that um, put a, a, a modern day spin on an ancient practice of barbarism called pederasty. And, and this is essentially the, the wooing, mentoring of adult homosexual men, uh, wooing and mentoring Teenage yeah. boy, not pedof- this isn't pedophilia. We're, we're talking prepubescence. All right, this, this, these are pubescence, people that are of biological sexual capability and wooing them uh, into full-fledged homosexuality. Basically, um, for lack of a better description, sort of a, sort of a sugar daddy. Yep. Uh, there was a case in my, home, my old home state of Michigan a couple of years ago where a gay adult male teacher had engaged in pederasty with one of his high school students. And they pro- they were the state was prosecuting him for um, for for rape uh, again as a, against a minor, and several of his teachers went to the courthouse to testify on his behalf and say this isn't rape. This student is gay, and he's discovering his sexuality with this teacher. Okay, this is this is this is now what we're call- this is pederasty is what we're talking about. I bring that up because in the context of your conversation, because there's a story out today by the Atlantic. Hardly, um, the Atlantic and the public discourse don't have the same readers, right? Uh, the, 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 the Atlantic and the Blaze don't have the same uh, Twitter followers, all right? But the Atlantic looked into years of allegations against filmmaker Brian Singer. He did the X-Men movies. Um, uh, he did uh, Superman Returns, Bohemian Rhapsody, which I actually think is a fabulous movie and a, and a fairly honest portrayal. Actually, I was shocked by how honest it was about succumbing to these desires and what that does uh, to relationships and things of that nature. Uh, he's the director of that film. Um, and, and now th- there's been rumors for years about him and, and, and essentially practicing pederasty with teenage boys in Hollywood. Uh, a couple of them come forward by name to make these allegations in this Atlantic article, which he clearly denies. But it's, it's interesting to see the Atlantic which I'm guessing thought Call Me By Your Name was a great movie. Probably a lot of those exact same writers. I bet if we went yeah. to their website and found out gave, and found out how they reviewed the movie, they thought it was great. Well, now today they've, they've got an expose out against Brian Singer, who's largely doing, or they're largely accusing of doing exactly what the subject matter of that film was. And you're living our moral confusion about this issue. What's your reaction to that? Well, I just have to say from what I've lived... Um, my son from about 12 years old has been groomed, um, in the lifestyle. So I've watched it as a mom, um, from the outside in and, um, honestly, it makes me incredibly angry. Um, this is a common practice in the gay community and, um, it is, um, what happens is with these boys is they're groomed and um, and then things are done to them um, sexually and a rewiring of their brain starts to happen 
and um, the synapses in their brain begin to rewire. And next you're hearing them like Milo and different people say that they're gay and that they've always been gay. When George Takai, the Star Trek actor, was asked by Howard Stern to describe, when did you know you were gay? And he talked about being a 13 or 14 year old boy at a summer camp. Uh, and he was with an adult uh, or an older teenage, 18, I don't remember exactly what the age was, of another camp counselor, but he was clearly older than him. What he was describing is this practice that you are, you're talking about right now that's in the Atlantic article about Brian Singer today. That's what, that's what George Takai was describing. And so we need to come out against this a whole lot more because that's how, so homosexuality cannot uh, grow naturally. You know, when we go back to our foundation of truth in Genesis 1 and 2, God created man and woman to um, multiply, to be fruitful and multiply. He put seed into each of us, right? And that seed can only be um, come to life and come to fruition when a man and a woman come together. Um, homosexuality, the seed dies when two of the same come together. It's not able to multiply and replenish. So what we're, what we're seeing and what we're living out for them to be able to grow, their numbers to grow and their their position and their ranks to grow in our nation is through recruitment, through grooming, through indoctrination into education. Um, you know, in Oklahoma, just recently to junior hires, they're teaching four types of sex to junior hires. Well, three of those types of sex are what are practiced in homosexual relationships. So, um, this, these are things that we need to be talking about more and helping to awaken and educate people. So when we've accepted same-sex marriage and said it's no different and it's just fine and it's not going to touch my family and it's not going to impact us, that's a complete lie because through recruitment, through indoctrination, through passing of laws, all these different things, it is directly impacting us and influencing our children. And if they ever start to experiment or participate in any of this, they have the great potential of their brains being rewired and them declaring to us, you know, in the future that they now are homosexual, that they are trans and et cetera. So these are things that we really need to be and I'm glad that that article came out. Um, uh, it needs to be talked about from <laughs> the truth side of it and not glorifying it or praising it like that movie did. Jana Darnell uh, from The Public Discourse. By the way, the article where she talks about her life, she's touched on it just a little bit. There's much more to this story. Uh, I just now posted it up on our Facebook wall. So if you go to our Facebook page, just look up Steve Dace on Facebook. If you haven't liked this yet, uh, click like, and uh, you'll see her uh, story uh, that she wrote for the public discourse back in 2014. I just shared it there and you can read the rest of her story for yourself. Jana, uh, courageous for you to come on here today uh, and share your courage of conviction. And uh, we appreciate you. And uh, thank you for bringing this matter to our attention and holding our feet to the fire as well here at The Blaze. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You bet. God bless.
Again, that article with her life story there is up on our Facebook wall right now as we speak. We've got about two and a half minutes before uh, our next break. Thoughts on what we just heard, Todd? What amazing grace. Uh, And after hearing that, you are without excuse uh, on any number of issues that affect your life. This whole woman's day and night is a fight against darkness. Uh, She... I, I. it's pretty clear that there's just no way she can compartmentalize this. Her family has been stripped of her and is being daily seduced by the dark side, yet she fights without excuse. What are you doing? Yeah, that's just a a powerful story, and and it's a a tragic one, but the tragedy and the darkness has not had the last word. Uh, That should be incredibly encouraging for everybody listening and everybody who just... Uh, listen to Jana. And again, we have to realize, we've been talking a lot this week about realizing what we are up against, the opponent uh, that we are up against. Um, Anytime you hear your opponent say, regarding the issues that we've just been talking about, um, why do you care about what other people do in in the privacy of their own bedroom? Why do you care about something people do that's, it's not hurting you? Um, Why do you care about this? it hurts other people. That's just the reality of it. We just heard the reality of it uh, over the last half an hour or so. Um, so understand that this entire uh, lie uh, or this entire movement has been built upon lie after lie after lie. Don't let it, don't let any of them, any facet of them get into your thinking or affect your thinking. But Jana also, I believe, said uh, over the last uh, half hour, um, we we have to be able to confront this issue because it is such an explosive tinderbox, and it still is. We have to be able to confront this with grace, mm-hmm. not unwavering in our position, in our conviction, but we have to come at this with grace as well. Understanding the opponent, what's Todd always say, wise as serpents, innocent as doves, that's how we have to approach this and basically every issue, but especially this one, because it is so emotionally charged. I, I think what's most important about the conversation you just heard is to see there are – we and, and there's real-world consequences and, and, and heartaches and heartbreaks on the other side of this debate, too. We don't deny that. But we're only hearing – about the real world consequences and heartaches on the other side of the debate. And the the side of tradition has real world consequences and heartache as well. Um, and it, it's important to hear the other side of the story that we just heard from, from Jana. We'll come back more in a moment. So we're about to kick off Theology Thursday here in the final uh, portion of today's show, which means there's that whole with those with ears to hear thing, which means now's a pretty good time to ask you, hey, when was the last time your ears were professionally cleaned? Hey, come on now. Am I the Jedi Master of Segways or what? Come on. Part of my job description is making your life terrible by saying ridiculous things right before you're supposed to do a live read, and I hate it. I hate it when I'm unable to do that. That was a masterful segue, wasn't it, Erzin? And a Jesus juke. Yeah. 
the same time. Yes. At the same time. There you go. All right. So if you've got uh, itchy ears, ear pain, you know, a lot of us have those issues, particularly this time of year with the weather uh, we're having throughout much, much of the country and in the, in the deep bowels of winter. If any of these problems sound familiar to you or you saw that uh, recent study that said if you put cotton swabs in your kids' ears to clean them out like our mom and dads did to us, you're a terrible parent who may wreck your child's eardrum, right? And now you're thinking, what do I do? I'm a terrible parent if I clean out the wax. I'm a terrible parent if they have wax, right? Let us alleviate all your guilt. Well, at least most of it, okay? Uh, WaxRx uses physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes uh, ear wax buildup, and then it will soothe the ear, pardon me, with their pH-conditioned formula. And you can use WaxRx now without a prescription. So no more waits at the doctor's office or or, or expensive trips to go there. Uh, No more cotton swabs or other solutions that uh, don't really solve the problem at all. You can try the WaxRx system today, risk-free. Just go to usewaxrx.com. That's usewaxrx.com. I am choked up right now. Do we have a throat RX? Goodness. Does this work? Is it multi-purpose? Just go to usewaxrx.com and use promo code radio when you go there for a free shipping at checkout. Radio at checkout for free shipping. Usewaxrx.com is the website. All right, let's uh, continue with Theology Thursday, and we've been uh, taking the audience through uh, a Bible study for the first time, and we're going through uh, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. It's otherwise known as Colossians, and we now forge ahead after a couple of weeks of getting everybody caught up on where we left off uh, before uh, we broke for Christmas. We now begin in chapter three, and what's going to happen now, and, and if you're new to this, some of the ground rules. We're not using any commentaries. Um I'm using my um, my Bible app that has no notes at the bottom, and we're doing it this way on purpose, not because we are great experts, but because we're not, because we want to do as much as we can to remove as much opinion from all of this as we can, even if it's good opinion, to just have the words on the page speak in real time to us where we're at right now, and we don't care what this means to you. We just care about what it actually means, all right? And, and if you have questions or criticisms, you think we got it wrong, because I'm sure we, at some point we did, we're humans. I've been saving those, although I haven't gotten as many as I thought I would, which I probably should not have just said. Uh, I've been saving those in a folder that we will address when we get through this, because I figured if we address these as we went along, we'd, we'd never finish, right? So what's going to happen now here in chapter three is we're going to make a transition, In chapter two, Paul has spent a good deal of time deconstructing the deconstructionists. He has spent a good deal of time pointing out, here's what's wrong. Here's what's counterfeit. Here's what a lie is. And now we're going to make a transition to, here's what, as Todd likes to say, here's what's true and beautiful. Paul's going to make that transition now. He writes, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. That's an ancient expression uh, for authority. If you were at the if you were at the right hand of the ultimate authority in a kingdom, you are essentially the authority. 
You can't get any closer than that. That's a, that's a, a, it's an expression, a colloquialism. That's what Paul is drawing here. It's a word picture. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Let's stop there for a second. One of my favorite C.S. Lewis sayings, aim for heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim for earth and you will get neither. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. This plays into the conversation that I that you've been trying to have this week, Todd, about Covington Catholic. Yes. And I think some folks have misinterpreted it, which in a way almost reinforces the point you're trying to make. Yes. Because they have misinterpreted it to mean that the the, the journalistic hackery that occurred um, shouldn't be condemned or called out. That the fact Mr. Phillips is the one who provoked this as the adult in the room and uh, at the very least played along with exaggerations of his service record shouldn't be condemned and called out. That's not what you're saying at all. Your concern is that we are attempting to use earthly solutions as opposed to spiritual weaponry in what is clearly um, what is clearly a spiritual battle. Exactly. And that when the students say things like, or, their, or their, the students' families say things like, we're not going to come to confirmation in the church unless the church acknowledges the political wrong that's been done to these children. That, that's an example of what Paul is urging us, by the way, not to do. Now, you and I would probably disagree on whether they should sue or not. I don't have a problem with them suing them and all these people who lied about them at all. Uh, there is a civil law. If they violated that civil law, when people tried to violate Paul's civil rights, he invoked the civil law to, as a Roman citizen to defend his rights. But I, I also don't want to argue with you about it because I don't know that I, I don't think I agree with your point on this, but I understand it in the context of the overall point you're trying to make, which is you can't wave a MAGA hat at hell. That's, the, that's really the overall point you're trying to make. By, by denying, as Catholics, denying the sacraments or your participation in them, you're essentially laying down your weapons against that which sought to condemn you, that sought to persecute you. You're essentially saying that we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take we're gonna fight earthly vessels with earthly vessels and earthly vessels times earthly vessels are what earthly, earthly vessels. vessels and this is why you are clamoring in this case let the gospel in don't you don't give confirmation to a bishop you give confirmation you seek confirmation in a church that if you are a Catholic you believe is is the earthly vessel of Jesus Christ on earth not the not the not the vichy France uh, or the you know feudalistic kingdom of one clown bishop or even a hundred clown bishops that's the point you're trying to make right yes and I thank you for uh 
teeing it up in the way that you did. Uh, not only, I think we agree more even on, I, I'm mostly going out of my way uh, on the, to bring up the lawsuits, not because I don't believe that a lawsuit may ultimately be efficacious and necessary, but it, it can't be turned into an idol. It is being lawsuit, lawsuit, lawsuit. I don't even hear a whisper of Jesus in any of this. This is, and Steve's talking with the right hand. Even if you haven't heard this before, if you've been watching Game of Thrones, you know Steve's point is made in that show. The hand of the king. They keep talking about the guy who is the, uh, the king basically sits at home and does his thing mm-hmm. while the hand of the king, the hand, the hand is Jesus Christ. He is not being brought up in any way, shape, or form by most Christians as an antidote to this. A lawsuit might be necessary, but it, it, I, I couldn't put it better than Steve did. Neither a lawsuit, nor a mag hat, nor anything of this earth can, will, or uh, conquer hell. And we are clearly very much deluded about that. When, when you have people, I go back to the point Aaron had from Molly Hemingway at the Federalist in his, in his montage today, when, when she pointed out, if, if we have such journalistic hackery continuing on, when we have actual video evidence, I mean, there's an element of journalism, guys, that has lowered itself beneath the standard of the view. Even the view this week was like, hey, man, we completely uh, treated these kids unfairly. And then, of course, tried to justify why. Yeah. Well, because we got to get Trump out, so it was okay. But at least even they, had, even Whoopi Goldberg's like, yeah, that, that's a, we were kind of caught up on a scam. And yet you've got elements at NBC News and CNN and other places that are continuing with this narrative. And Molly Hemingway's point was, if indeed, in the face of video evidence that we all have on our phones right now showing the story that most of us overreacted to over the weekend was a complete and total lying scam, and we have legitimate ent- entities and, and paragons of thought and information dis- dissemination in the culture continuing on with a lie that's been debunked by a video everybody has seen on their phones— what do you think they do with their quote-unquote anonymous sources we can't see? My goodness, that's a brilliant point. Well, let me tell you, there is no common sense argument against that level of fervor. These are people driven by a spiritual conviction. And which spiritual convictions? The one Paul talks about in chapter 2 of this book, Colossians. The elemental spirits of this world Therefore, if the, if, the, if the believer is called to, th- put his, to look above, those in opposition, where are they looking? Below. What's below? Hmm. Well, I'll preach. And so, if the elemental spirits of this world come from below... And there are forces at work in our culture driving those elemental spirits from below into the mainstream. Even the most eloquent Tucker Carlson rant on Fox News tonight has no chance against that. None. And it could be the best speech ever given. And it could be. Has no shot. And it could be, and it could be this time instead of the 5 million people that watch it, 15, 20 million. Won't put a dent. Won't put a dent in the spiritual fervor driving an element of the other side. You're, you're, you're not negotiating. It, this is an this is invasion. It is a hostile takeover. It is a conquest. You arrived, if you are an American believer, this culture is like if it, you founded a company 
you took the company public. So it would grow even bigger than it could under your own stewardship. And you took the company public and it thrived and it flourished. It wasn't perfect. It made mistakes. Some quarters you took losses. Sometimes you had to, you had to replace the management. They did immoral things and they had to go. But overall, when you looked at the long arc of your company's history, it has been a blessing to the community and the customers that has served for so long. Say 242 years. One day you come in and you think it's a board meeting like any other board meeting. And you happen to notice there's some new faces there and the room is fuller than it used to be. And you're thinking, hey, you know what, man? We just had a, a record dividend check. I guess some folks are here to say, hey, thanks. No, they're not. This is a hostile takeover that's happening. That is what is occurring in this culture right now, is that event. And when you've reached the point that folks are, folks are emboldened enough to walk into your boardroom in front of your grill and attempt to take that which you built, there's nothing you will say that will make them think, boy, you know, I really hadn't considered, you know, those are new projections, new projections of growth next quarter. And I, 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 I wish you would have brought those to my attention. You know what? We're going to beat our, our swords into plowshares here. Our bad. Back to work, everyone. No. Nope. I go back to what I told you yesterday when Saul Alinsky used to hold his conferences. He'd ask his students, why do we organize? And they would say all the lofty, idealistic Ocasio-Cortezian reasons. Justice. Quality. And Alinsky would say, wrong. Power. We organize for power. The elemental spirits of this world that come from below care about one thing and one thing only. Power. It's a power move when you walk into the boardroom of your family's company and they're trying to take it from you. That's a power move. It's going to take another power move to cast them out. But it's got to be the right power move and it has to come from something that actually has some power. And my Trump's not a racist because here's a listing of all the black people he's appointed to his cabinet meme ain't going to be it. They don't care. Just like you could show that those folks there to take your company over, you could show them you're about to have the best quarter they've ever had. They don't care. They don't care. All they care about is that they're the ones sitting at that seat at the head of the table and it ain't you. That's all they care about. They will not be satisfied. They will not be satiated. They won't negotiate because it's not a negotiation. It's an invasion. I think that's the point you've been trying to make this week. Before we get to final thoughts, our good friends over at Real Estate Agents I Trust want you to know if you're thinking of buying or selling a home this year, realestateagentsitrust.com is the website. And what makes this effort different than other real estate referral organizations is usually that's about helping real estate agents find people like you. 
In this case, this is about, hey, we have sifted through real estate agents that are worthy of you, that we would recommend to you. This is a client empowering effort that Glenn Beck and some of his friends put together six years ago out of frustration uh, with the real real estate industry and the real estate agent uh, industry. Uh, And they did this in order to make it better and more effective and more profitable for people like you to find the right agent to buy or sell your next home. So if you are looking for a great realtor these days, you want to buy and sell your home fast and for the right price, Look with do it with the team at realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, we got about two minute warning here. Final thoughts on what we learned here today, Todd. I did not know that Steve was we never really know what each other is is going to do. Uh but uh, my wheels are turning now. And I just want to address that uh uh lawsuit thing. Again, ju- just like a lot of people can't believe that the press lied this much, uh as much uh, ground as a lawsuit may legitimately have to stand on. Um, how do we do usually? We, our side, whatever. How do we do in the courts normally? How do you think that's going to go? Uh, it, 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 regardless if our cause is just, the names that are going to be called, again, be wise as serpents. You can throw that term lawsuit around all you want, but will we be ready, as Sean Connery once said? What are you prepared to do? Our side almost never is. And their side comes and it comes and it comes. So just go in with the proper weaponry. I mean, I don't think, by the way, even though a lawsuit is justified, I don't think it'll be a deterrent. You should know that. It won't be. You think BuzzFeed just found out today they were shocked they were laying off 15% of their workforce? Nope. No, they weren't. Jack Phillips calls and says, yeah, uh, it's not going to be a deterrent. No. No, The management at BuzzFeed that signed off on running that fake news last week knew that these things were coming down the pike, man. So- it may be justice, and it's okay to just do justice for justice sakes, but it won't be a deterrent. And I think that's an important distinction. Aaron, your final thought. Um, we have to wake up and realize that we came to play this game. Uh, we came to play a game of soccer, uh, and they're playing football right now, American football. Um, we don't have our pads on. They do. The only way to win that game is just to walk away. Don't ever, ever play their game with the left. Understand that it's not one that you can win because you're not equipped for it because they have a different set of rules and you never will be so long as Christ is your king. And they have one rule, really. Heads they win, tails you lose. That's the that's those are the that's the rule. Yep. John 3:17. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.